Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here, those joining us online over at West Tonka and Bush Lake. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach. I have the supreme joy of serving as one of the pastors on staff together. And it's great just to kick off our week in worship and in study. And today we are continuing along in our sermon series on Nehemiah. It's really about the story of the Israelites as they left from being in exile, moving back to their home country, to their city of Jerusalem. And they find destruction and desolation there. And Nehemiah rises up as a leader to bond them together to build the walls to help bring defense and strategy to their city. And one of the things that we've said throughout is that uh, it's a quote from Admiral Stravides that says, leadership is the big door that swings on the small hinges of character. That character matters and that character ultimately builds. And character is important even in those really tough and difficult situations and circumstances. And I'm reminded of a time whenever my character was put to the test a little bit. My wife, Cassie, and I, we were living down in Dallas, Texas. I was attending Dallas Theological Seminary, and we lived right there on campus. And DTS, the, the campus is right outside downtown Dallas. And just a, a quick note, like our parking lot, this is how it was. It was really tiny. It was really small. The parking spaces were a little bit crammed. And many, many of you are like, that doesn't seem right. Because if you've ever been to Texas, right, you know everyone drives big, huge trucks down there, okay? And the parking spaces are enormous. Not so here at this parking spot. Anyways, we drove a little four-door sedan. I didn't have a big lifted truck. I should have, though. Man, if I could go back in time, maybe we could have worked that out. Uh, but I, I parked one day, and I went inside. Then the next morning, I came outside to go to work, and as I was getting into this four-door sedan, I noticed that there was a note on the windshield, and I thought, oh, Oh, nice. Cassie left me a little love note. Oh, you know, and so I got out of the car just in joy and, and with a big smile on my face. And I pulled out the note and I opened up and read these words. Hey, why don't you park better next time? <laughs> I, I hear one awe and a couple of laughters, okay? Here's the thing. It was anonymous and I was so angry. Like you're not even giving me a chance to clap back in that moment. What's the deal? The frustrating part, I was like parked perfectly in the middle there. I don't know what their deal was, but here's the truth of the matter. I wanted revenge. Yeah. You know, and so here's the thing. I expected more out of this person because here we are at seminary. These are people who are training just like me. You guessed it to be pastors and church leaders. And so you know what I did is I expected more out of them and I wanted revenge. Yeah, you guessed it. I walked around with that handwritten note to my classes, looking at people's handwriting to see if I could match it up. <laughs> my character didn't show in that moment. You're like, this dude is crazy. But the reality is, in that moment where I felt this little conflict and dare I say, yes, even this injustice against me, I expected more of people as I experienced tension and frustration, I should have allowed my character to, to move and engage in that moment. But how about you? You know, for many of us, whenever we think about relationships, it's, it's true. Conflict a lot of times characterizes our relationships. Maybe for some of you with your spouses, in fact, you're in conflict right now. You're like, we just got through the doors, we got out of the house, and I'm not even gonna look to my left or to my right. I'm just gonna look straight forward at Zach, not even gonna look at my spouse right now, all right? Uh, maybe for others of you, when it comes to your kids or for our students, it comes to your classmates or our coworkers, all right? We experience conflict everywhere. Maybe it's in our small groups, our neighborhoods, our cities, dare I say, our state, even in our nation. Conflict is all around us. And so the question that we see is that whenever we rub tension and, fru and friction and frustration with people, how are we going to respond? You know, some of us, we 
kind of take this posturing of like, oh, all right, conflict. Hey, you know, time for me to step up to the plate. Fight or flight, baby, I'm going to fight all day long. And others of us are like, fight or flight? No, no, no. I don't want any part of this conflict. Nope. No, I'm going to avoid it as best I can. But as we can understand, man, conflict is all around us. And we've got to learn how to navigate it. And so we've said couched within this conversation is character. And so how does character interact with conflict? In fact, that's the one big idea and question I want us to look at today, which is this. How do I handle conflict with character? Okay, how do I handle conflict? How do we handle conflict with character in such a way that conflict isn't avoided, but conflict is actually restorative and redemptive for all parties involved? How can we handle conflict in such a way that maybe God will even be glorified in the process as well? I know it sounds like a tall order, but when we go to the book of Nehemiah chapter five, we see him doing this. And so we're gonna be digging into that passage, Nehemiah 5, one through 13. And so I invite you, let's take a look. Here are the words of what Nehemiah is doing. He first talks about the problem that they're experiencing. Now the men and their wives, they raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and our vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. And so Nehemiah just really begins by addressing the problem. He says, first of all, there are some wage earners and he's saying, you know, they're, they're coming to the, the forefront and they're saying, hey, we don't have enough money uh, to buy grain. All right, and it's kind of this idea of like their families are growing or maybe their kids are becoming teenagers. All right, for the teenage parents in the room, you're like, yeah, I get it. Some of y'all are having to take out second mortgages on your house to pay for the food for your teenagers to eat. But then he talks a little bit more about this issue of what they're facing where uh, they're having to mortgage out their fields or mortgage out their houses to get grain. Some are even having to do that in order to pay the taxes from the king. And then what we can see here, some are having to enslave and put their kids, their sons and daughters into servitude. And so what we see here, the, the major problems are this. There, there is definitely a financial and there's a resource crisis going on right here in Jerusalem at this time. But, but dare I say, it, it's something actually far bigger than that. The financial and the resource issue is only on surface level. There's actually a moral issue that's happening beneath the surface. And it's happening amongst fellow Jews, fellow citizens. Okay, last week, Pastor Ben talked about external opposition. He talked about external conflict that we might face. Today, we are talking about internal conflict, internal strife with those who are closest to us. And Nehemiah says it's happening amongst fellow citizens, friends, and family members. They said that our children are of one skin and one flesh and one blood, and yet this is what's happening. And isn't it true that sometimes conflict hits us the hardest whenever it comes from those who are closest to us? In fact, my friend Yoni gave a quote this week uh, where he said, you know, sometimes our greatest joys and our greatest pains come from the same place, our relationships. Sure, we might get that anonymous remark from time to time, but when we put a name and a face to that stinging comment, it hurts just a little bit more. 
But then not only that, we see that in Nehemiah's story. Okay, they're, they're building this wall. They're, they're, they're uh, in tandem and in collaboration together to uh, build this wall. But now all of a sudden, they're hitting a little bit of a roadblock. They're hitting a little bit of a hindrance that's, that's causing them to pause. And so Nehemiah does something about it. And so for each and every one of us, maybe we're experiencing conflict. Maybe for some of us, we're even experiencing momentum in our family, in our neighborhoods, at work. But then all of a sudden, it halts because of some type of conflict or speed bump that we run into. So what is it that we do exactly? Well, fortunately for us, we see the story of Nehemiah, that he deals with it directly. Uh, let's go back to see how Nehemiah approaches this. He, he says these words, when I, Nehemiah, when I heard their outcry and these charges, all those things that we just talked about, he said this, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. Okay, so there are two things I want to call out, anger and pondering. First, let's talk about anger. And when I look at this, I think of myself like, angry? Wow, really? Because when we think about the emotions that we face and the emotions that we feel as people, I think that there's a little bit of a lie that we sometimes navigate here, maybe in the church or maybe in North America. And it's this idea that you should not show your emotions. All right, if anything, you need to suppress your emotions. You need to shove them down. Do not be honest with your emotions. But what we see right here is that anger is a, a natural part Emotions are a natural part. Sadness are a natural part of the human condition. And so sometimes in the church, we're like, you can't show your emotions. That makes you a bad Christian. That might be a lie that some of us are believing. But just because you feel emotions, that, does that make you less Christian? No, that makes you human. In fact, it shows that we're made in the image of God. Right? Anger at times done correctly is a righteous response to injustice and conflict. In fact, Jesus in the Gospels, whenever he comes up to the temple, he, he sees that there are many leaders who are charging this outrageous tax on sacrifices. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come in and he flips the tables in his anger. And he says, you're making my father's house a house of profit, but I'm going to make this house a house of prayer. And so he's responding and a you know, redemptive way. And so for each and every one of us, man, anger is there. Sadness is there. Ephesians 4, it says, be angry and do not sin. So then how do we proceed with our emotions in a way that's God-honoring? Great question. When I think about anger, especially how, how it touches conflict, I think that there's one of two kind of goalposts, one of two extremes that we can find ourselves in. And if we're not careful, if we're not cautious, and if we do continue to suppress down these emotions, they'll come out in one of these two ways. The first way is this, anger can turn to rage. Okay, some of us, it's like when we get to that rageful moment, it's like I'm seeing red, I'm seeing just, ah, I'm so angry, I'm gritting my teeth, and I, I can't really find control over my life. In fact, we have uh, words for this. It's called road rage. All right, or another word, it's called getting triggered or it's the rage monster that um, emerges, okay? Uh, have you ever seen somebody, and I say somebody because some of y'all are like, he's talking to me. Have you ever seen somebody send a rageful text or a rageful email? That's what happens when we allow these emotions to spin out. That's one goalpost, that's one extreme. What about the other extreme? Well, anger can turn to passive aggressiveness. Okay, I'm watching y'all. Okay, some of y'all are just like giving the quick elbow to the person sitting next to you, okay? But passive aggressive, yeah, I see one person just amen, yeah, you know, okay? <laughs> and so what we ultimately see a lot of times is passive aggressiveness does nothing to solve the conflict or the injustice either, does it? Have you ever seen a person send a passive aggressive email? Once again, somebody sending a passive aggressive note. 
And so it's not rage, it's not passive aggressiveness, but really what it is is it's stepping into the conflict in such a way that our character engages, but not only engages, but our character leads the way. And so the, the big idea that I want you to see in the story of Nehemiah is ultimately this, that our character must lead the way in conflict. Okay, our character must lead the way in conflict. If we're allowing rage to lead the way, if we're allowing passive aggressiveness to lead the way, there will be just a, a wake of destruction behind us. But if we allow character to lead the way, then we'll begin to see the beauty of restoration happening amongst parties that have been uh, experiencing conflict. So now you might think to yourself, okay, Zach, this is great. Character must lead the way. Well, how do I do that? We go back, whenever we see Nehemiah, it says, when I heard these things, I was very angry. And then the next thing that he said is he said, I pondered them in my mind. And so this is something that I've been doing for probably the last seven years, because if I'm really honest, I am not a master conflict resolver because I'm a master conflict instigator, all right? And so whenever I know that I'm about to step into conflict, these are just three little things that I do. They, they, they go like this, it alliterates. Pause, pray, proceed. Okay, you notice it doesn't say proceed, pause, pray. It's kind of like ready, aim, fire. No, it's like fire, ready, aim. Like that's not what I'm saying. No, no, no. It's saying pause, pray, proceed. Pause, take a moment. Catch your breath. All right, center on Christ. Just take a moment to gather your thoughts. Pray, spend time laying it at the feet of Jesus. And, and sometimes the simplest prayer that we can pray is, oh God, oh God, oh God, help. God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm annoyed. God, I'm angry. But help me to lead this way through Christ-like character. And then finally, proceed. Notice that it doesn't say proceed with anger and rage. It doesn't say proceed with uh, passive aggressiveness, but proceed in such a way that we have now been formed before we step into it. And so fortunately for us, we see that Nehemiah does just that. He pondered and then he stepped forward into the conflict. And so let's look at some of the steps that Nehemiah does. It's really practical. It's full of wisdom when we see his example. So what does he do? What is it that he does? He does this. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused or brought a charge against the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. And I said these words, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. Okay, Nehemiah is about to get on it, y'all. Okay, this is what he's doing. He, he's stepping in, he's proceeding with clarity and directness. And I, I appreciate this so much because he comes to the, this large meeting and this large assembly and he says, y'all need to stop charging interest. The y'all is in there, okay? It's in the Hebrew, trust me on that. Okay, he says, y'all need to stop charging interest. Okay, and they're like, yeah, sure. Uh, but then he goes even further and he begins to diagnose the problem. He says, here's what you're doing. He, he says, we just arrived and, and we bought back our own fellow citizens, our own Jewish brother and sisters out of slavery from the Gentiles, the nation surrounding us. But guess what you just did? You sold them back into slavery. We've just changed masters at this time. Are we any better than those Gentile neighbors around us? Are we any better than the enemies? What Nehemiah is doing is he's calling the people of God, get this, to act like the people of God. That's what he's ultimately trying to do. And so what I love so much about what Nehemiah is doing 
And it's really the very first step in this process. It's really the first step in the conflict resolution is this, he clarifies the problem. Okay, Nehemiah steps in and he clarifies the problem. He speaks directly and he speaks clearly and he's saying, here's the problem. Here are the ramifications. We need to stop doing this. And so as a pastor, a lot of times I get the joy and the honor to meet with couples and really work through, give them some tools to, to navigate and enrich their, their, their marriage and their relationship. And in fact, there was a time a, a few years back whenever I met with a husband and wife and uh, just, a, just a great dynamite couple, um, but they had some personality differences, okay? He was pretty type A, driven, kind of like, okay, here's what we're doing, punctual. And she, not so much, okay, kind of more go with the flow, all right? And so as I'm meeting with them, I just said, hey, today we're talking about conflict resolution. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes the best way to not just talk about it, but is to exercise it. Do y'all have any examples recently of conflict? And they both kind of smirked. And they looked at each other and they said, yeah, we had one about two or three days ago. And I was like, hey, perfect. That's timely. All right, let's go. And so what had happened is it was a Saturday afternoon. Um, they had plans to go to dinner and then a wild game afterwards. And they were ready to go. And, and him being the, the punctual extrovert of the relationship, guess what happened? He got ready and he was downstairs kind of impatiently waiting like, okay, we need to go. We need to get going. And she's upstairs taking her time. Okay. And she's like, well, what's the big deal? And, and he came upstairs and he's trying to rush her and she's kind of getting frustrated and he's getting frustrated himself. And, and he's like, should we just uh, go our separate ways and, and, and we'll meet up there and all that. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm, I'm beginning to get a picture for it. And I said, well, walk me through, like, how did you guys try to solve this? Oh, well, come to find out. They, they ultimately said, well, we agreed on a time to arrive. And, and lo and behold, they were remotely in that time frame, maybe about 10, 15 minutes within that time frame of getting there. But what we realized is we really began to dig in and pull back the layers. They never agreed upon a time to leave. Some of you are like, oh, <laughs> that's the aha moment for them. And that's the aha moment that we see here in Nehemiah as well. It's clarifying the problem. If you can get to that point of saying, here's what the problem is, if you can really drill into it, a lot of times, guess what? You've actually just solved the problem. You solved the conflict right then and there. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there. Instead, what he does is he starts to invite them in to be a part of, of, of the solution. And so the next thing that Nehemiah does after he gives to them the problem, he says, hey, we need to collaborate on a plan. I told you, stop charging interest. We, we need to release our fellow brethren. And, and now he's saying, we're going to collaborate on a plan. Clarify the problem, collaborate on a plan. And so we're going to go back to the text. Let's look and see what it is that Nehemiah does exactly. He says, so I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, Gentile being those surrounding nations? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. Look at how he's stepping into the conflict to bring a plan. He continues along. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. He's saying, give it back to them. And then here's their response. Clear as day. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. 
Nehemiah steps in with clarity and he says, here's what the problem is. Now Nehemiah is stepping in to be a part of the plan and part of the solution. Did you see what he said? He's, he's saying, hey, my brother and, and my own men, we're, we're lending resources, we're lending grain as well. And now I wanna invite you into this process as well. But you need to stop charging interest and you need to stop withholding their fields and their vineyards. And he's ultimately saying, if you want our people to make money and you're pulling away from them the money generating thing, how are we expecting them to get out of this cycle that they have. But what I love about Nehemiah is he's saying, hey, I've got skin in the game. I'm a part of this. It's not like I'm just kind of disengaged and hey, y'all figure this out. This is all on you. He's saying, no, 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 I'm stepping in because this is our problem. We need to collaborate together around a plan. And so for each of us, it's, it's that reminder. It's like, we're not stepping in in rage where we're kind of bulldozing over things and we're just saying, this is what we're gonna do. Because that sounds a lot like, this is what I'm gonna do. It needs to be, this is what we need to step into. Here are some ideas. It's not passively uh, disengaging and saying, oh, well, this will figure itself out because we know that if Nehemiah didn't say anything, nothing would have gotten figured out. But it's coming to the table, collaborating on a plan. And so a lot of times I just invite couples. I invite people who might be in conflict. Man, come up with three, four, five potential solutions, five potential plans. You don't have to do all five of them, but maybe you pick one that will help alleviate that conflict, that problem that's at play. And so it's clarify the problem, collaborate on a plan. But whenever we think about collaborating, it brings us into this next idea. And what I love about Nehemiah is he's bringing this communal nature to the table. He's inviting them, he's appealing to their common good. And so look at what he says, verse nine, once again, it says this, what you are doing is not right. Here it is, shouldn't you walk in the fear of, and then what's this word, help me out here, the fear of our God. Our God. He's saying, hey, this is all of us. This impacts every single one of us. Let's be in this together. Let, let's, let's really move in lockstep with one another. And so after you collaborate on a plan, the very next thing that we really see is this, agree to move forward. Right, we've got the plan, now let's be in agreement. Let's, let's move together with one another. And so whenever I start to talk through this a little bit with couples, I, I like to use the illustration of a table. And I say a lot of times, you know, a, a table is a great opportunity to, to really set the stage for talking through conflict resolution. And so I figured, man, I'd love to invite somebody up to help me illustrate this point. I thought, who better than somebody who I'm always in conflict with? It's not Joel K. Johnson, okay, don't worry, he's not here. All right, it's somebody else, my own wife, Cassie Bush. Give it for Cassie, come on down, girl, come on. Yeah, she does exist, all right? I talk about her quite a bit, but here's, here's how I set the table a lot of times. You know, whenever we get in a conflict, it's, it's, it's in relationship. It's with those people who are closest to us. And so a lot of time, because our natural disposition, we come to the table and we're sitting eye to eye with people. And the, the posturing of this is really saying, the problem, the conflict, the issue, who is it with? It's with this person. Or in her case, it's actually me. It's usually me, let's be honest, all right, let's be clear. But just for illustrative purposes, it's me, all right? The problem though with that is you continue to fight against one another. You continue to say, you're the issue, you're the problem. We're not getting through this because of you. So what we actually see here is whenever we begin to collaborate on a plan, whenever we agree to move forward, what we're actually gonna do is we're gonna slide around the table together. And this is what it looks like when we are sitting together, shoulder to shoulder, we're agreeing to move forward. Now the problem is 
all of y'all. No, the problem is on the other side and, and the issue is on the other side and we're looking at one another and we're saying, how are we gonna solve this problem together? But then not only are we sitting here, but now the next step that we take is we agree to move forward. So now instead of sitting, we actually stand. And if, it, if it's your spouse, you can hold hands. We're gonna say, we're gonna move together with this. If you're coworkers, you can link arms together with this, but you're, you're in it together with one another saying, here's the issue, here's the problem. Not this person, this right here, let's move forward. Not only that though, whenever you begin to come around the table together and you're solving the issue and when the dust is settled, when the conflict is at bay, the other thing that you get to do, I call this, you get to watch game film. And when I used to play hockey, we would do this where we would go back and we would watch game film. And, and sometimes it was done in a team setting. It was kind of painful. We would review how we played. We'd, we'd look at tendencies. We'd look at weaknesses. And so now we can have a conversation about our conversations. We can have communication about the communication. We can say, this was what was said that really upset me or, or this triggered me in the moment. And so you can review that conflict and get stronger together. But then not only are you reviewing, when you come together shoulder to shoulder, now you can have an opportunity to also release. Any moment of frustration, any moment of unforgiveness, resentment, this creates a pathway for you to say, I'm gonna release that frustration, I'm gonna release that resentment so that we can move forward together in restoration and in reconciliation, reviewing, releasing, agreeing to move forward. Well, I gotta be honest, uh, Cassie actually wrote this sermon, so she's gonna finish this up for me. What do you think? I'm no? Sweaty. <laughs> she's, I'm getting sweaty, she says. <laughs> Let's give it up for Cass, thanks. Oh. I mean, <laughs> What an opportunity we have. What an opportunity we have to see that conflict isn't a hindrance, conflict isn't a roadblock, but conflict is actually an opportunity. It's a pathway to deepen our uh, relationships. It's an opportunity for us to clarify unmet expectations or miscommunication or those sort of things. And so just to review, I know we covered a lot, but let's go back and review here really briefly. We, we said, first of all, that character must lead the way in conflict. It's not rage, it's not passive aggressiveness, but it's character leading the way. And the way we do that is to pause Pray, proceed. Take a moment, catch your breath, lay it all at the feet of Jesus, and then proceed in a way. So how do we proceed? Steps forward. First of all, clarify the problem. What really is the issue? Next, we look at this, collaborate on a plan. We're saying, hey, here's some steps, here's some solutions that we can uh, gather around. And then third, agree to move forward. Coming around the table together, shoulder to shoulder, moving in lockstep. That's what we see within the story of Nehemiah. That's what we see within these leaders moving towards momentum with each other. Now, the thing that I love about this story is it doesn't stop there. And so just to kind of give you this concluding thought, I wanna read the very last verse of this situation, this instance. It says this, at this, so once they've had this conflict resolution, as they've talked about the injustice is going on, at this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. So there are three actions that jump out. First of all, they said, amen. Amen meaning, yes, Lord, let it be. Amen meaning we are in agreement with God and with one another. It says that they did as they promised. There was action oriented that they uh, made these promises and they didn't just kind of say, oh, these are promises, but they acted upon them. But then for me, one of the things that just jumped out at me the most was they praised God the Lord. 
Sit on that for a moment. The people who had just enslaved their brothers and sisters. The people who had just charged astronomical taxes. The people who had just mortgaged out their fields. Now they're standing shoulder to shoulder in a worship set. What are they singing? I don't know. How great is our God? It could be anything. But the point is, is that they're sitting there praising God shoulder to shoulder. He is getting the glory and the goodness is permeating their, their city and their nation at that time. And they're realizing, man, the, the problem's clarified. The plan is collaborated on. Uh, we're moving forward with each other. They realize the enemy is not amongst us. The enemy is outside of us. And so friends, what would it look like if we were people who handled our conflict with character? Uh, think about it. What would that look like? Uh, I mean, our families would, would be, begin to bond together, character with our spouses, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our community, with our groups, with our city, with our nation, with our world. If character led the way in conflict, there'd be more reconciliation and restoration. There'd be less brokenness and disillusionment, all right? People would bond together in unity. That's what this world needs. Character led people saying, I'm going to be like Christ in this moment to see the collective good of my brother and sister all around me. And so friends, may we be people who handle conflict with character. May we be people who fix our eyes upon Jesus to say, Lord, lead me in this moment. Pausing, praying, and proceeding for your glory and for our good. Friends, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son, Jesus. That John 1 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus, you left heaven, you left perfect eternity and you stepped into the conflict, into the brokenness of our world. You weren't passive, you weren't rageful, but you stepped headlong into it and you brought restoration to us in collaboration with the Father and the Spirit for your glory and for our good. And so we pray, Lord, that we can be and love like you in every situation. And Lord, as we learn from this wisdom of Nehemiah, I pray that we can be people who step forward, who are led by character, that same Christ-like character. And so friends, I just invite you even now, who is it in your life, a neighbor, a spouse, a family member, a coworker, who is it that you have conflict with? I invite you, lay it at the feet of Jesus. God, give us the wisdom for how to proceed and give us the boldness to do that. All for your glory and our good. And so we lift this up now in the mighty and the matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. amen.